This takes me back to my days of waiting tables. Some skills I developed. <laughs> good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Great to be back at church. Thanks, Chris, for the announcement. Thanks, Victor and the the worship team for leading us in uh, in worship this morning. Uh, my name is Adam, and I'm honored to be able to, to bring God's word this morning. And uh, I just want to welcome, also add my word of welcome to all of you, and also to anyone who's a who's a guest, a visitor. We're super excited that you're here. And also, I want to say welcome to all the kids, because it is really cool to see the kids worshiping all of us together. So that's one of the unintended, unplanned sort of blessings of this whole season of life, is being able to worship sort of um, intergenerationally. So uh, we are going to be starting a sermon series in the Psalms, um, which I've titled Summer in the Psalms, because I'm not particularly creative, and it's summer, and we're going to be studying the Psalms. So uh, <laughs> pretty straightforward. Uh, so we're moving from Philippians, to, which is in the New Testament, to Psalms, which is in the Old Testament. But what I want you to understand is that we're going to be seeing the same God, the same Savior, the same Gospel, the same hope, the same grace, all the things that we celebrate, that we celebrated in Philippians, we're going to be celebrating in the book of Psalms. And so I want you to see more than anything continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because I think there's some of us that were raised to kind of wonder like, what's the relationship between these two Testaments? And what I want us to see is this continuity of gospel and grace and Savior and um, so hopefully you as a Christian are really mining uh, the Old Testament for all of those things and they're encouraging you. So this morning is going to be a little bit different because, you know, I usually preach from a passage. I said, this is the passage and I sort of preach out of that passage. This morning's kind of going to be a little bit more of an introduction, but I don't want this to be like a boring sort of scholarly introduction. I want it to be something that you really take this week and apply to your life and, you know, really live faithfully out of what we're able to look at this morning. So it's going to be an introduction. So I'll pray and then I'll begin. And um, uh, w- w- there are some different verses that we'll look at. And then starting next week, we will start looking at a, a psalm or two together each week. We're not going to go through every psalm sequentially, but we're going to look at a few select psalms. All right, let me pray for us. Father, what a joy it is to be with brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, just celebrating Redemption, celebrating that we have been brought from death to life. I pray if there's anyone here, Father, who is not experienced that transition, that uh, that work of grace, Lord, would you do that in their hearts this morning? Um, we've just sung that we we run to the Father again and again and again, and uh, all of us, Father, are so grateful that you are always open armed. You, you're always willing to receive anyone who will run to you. So, Father, whether for the first time or again or again, would you just draw all of us back to you, back to Christ, by the Spirit, through the Word? Would you just remind us of how great it is to be in fellowship with you and with each other and how miserable it is to be away from you? And would that misery lead us to repentance? As Paul says in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, you know, you have conversations after church and, uh, you know, sometimes God sort of does providential work in your life through those conversations. Last week, I had a couple conversations. One of them was with Pastor Jeep and Jeep mentioned a book and I got that book this week and uh, I read the first couple chapters and it's on John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace or the words for Amazing 
grace. And I want to sort of point to something I read in that book as a sort of opening illustration to the book of Psalms that I hope is helpful for you. So John Newton, at the very end of his life, is dying. And on his deathbed, he says to his wife, um, I know two things. I know that I am a great sinner and I know that Jesus is a great savior. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. And what I want you to understand up front is that this is, in essence, the message of the Psalms, that we are great sinners and God is a great savior. Charles Spurgeon referred to the Psalms as the treasury of David. Now, not all the Psalms are written by David. There's a Psalm written by Moses. There are Psalms written by this guy named Asaph. Uh, there are Psalms that are just anonymous. A lot of the Psalms, about 70 or 71, are we know are written by David. But Spurgeon calls it the treasury of David. And here's what I want you to understand from that quote, is that the Psalms are for you and for your faith a treasure. I don't know how your bank accounts are doing this morning, but in regards to the faith, in regards to assets and resources for your faith, you are rich. And one of those resources, one of those great assets that you have access to is the book of Psalms. And some of you know this. I know that some of you have mined the Psalms in your life for those treasures and for those riches and others maybe not. But I want all of us to be on the same page, that this is a treasure centered on the theme that we are great sinners, but Jesus is a great savior. Now, it's important to understand that the book of Psalms is sort of organized. It's it's organized. It's not just a randomly kind of jumbled together, thoughtless collection of sayings. Um, you know, if you do much reading in sort of religious texts, sacred texts, you do find that in, in other books. Just stuff that's been randomly compiled. But the Psalms are not randomly compiled. They're intentionally and thoughtfully compiled into five books. The first book, and each one of these books contains different numbers of Psalms. And so the first book of the Psalms is sort of an introduction. We're going to look at that next week. Psalm 1 and 2 as an introduction to all the Psalms. The second book of the Psalms uh, kind of is a historical review. Kind of looking at Israel's past as evidence for God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness in the past is the reason we keep trusting him in the present. That is a main theme of like the Old Testament. The third book of the Psalms gets a little darker. The tone gets a little more discouraging. I, I mean, this would be like a, a great day to preach some of the Psalms from the third book. You know, it's overcast. It's, it's cloudy. It's, you know, um, written from the perspective of people going through times in life that felt a lot like this. And then the fifth book of the Psalms ends with kind of a resolution um, and, and it ties it together. And w- one of the things you hear a lot in the fifth book of the Psalms is the phrase, the Lord reigns. So the psalmist has gone through this transition or, or the collection of Psalms brings us on a journey. It's an organized treasure, the book of Psalms. There's plot there's tension, there's arc, and there's resolution. Everything you'd look for in a good book, you find in the book of Psalms. Now, how can that be that a, a group of writings, you know, written anywhere from over a thousand years plus before Christ is born to a couple hundred years before Christ is born and then compiled together, how can it have that kind of cohesion? Here's why. Because there are many human authors, but there is one divine author. God is ultimately the author of the Psalms. He used people. 
but God is the one delivering to us his word. Now, here's something else to keep in mind. As you read the Psalms, usually at the beginning of the Psalms, we're told who the author is. Psalm of David, Psalm of Asaph, Psalm of Moses, Psalm of Solomon. Um, and and what, we're, what we have to understand is that these are real people. These aren't fictional characters. This isn't like, you know, Harry Potter or, or you know, um, somebody from Lord of the Rings. You know, uh, I wish I knew more about the Lord of the Rings. That'd be a better reference. Um, uh, Gandalf. There you go. There you go. Came up with one. These are real historical people with real struggles, real problems. And so if you're here this morning going, look, I've got challenges. I've got struggles. Life isn't easy. When you read the book of Psalms, you can relate. These are people giving voice to your fears, your challenges, your depression, your discouragement, your anxiety, all that stuff we deal with. They're giving voice to it. And through their words, we find um, we find not only sort of a comfort knowing that we're not the only ones that struggle with kind of stuff, but we also find faith and encouragement. Their words give voice to our doubts, but also our faith. And this is a really important point to the book of Psalms. And it's also one of the things that we're going to see there. Even within the Psalms, there is a movement in the writer from doubt to faith. And so um, the Psalms, you probably know this, but the word Psalm um, is derived from the Septuagint, which is Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it just means songs of praise. So the Psalms have often been called the songbook of the Old Testament because these were the songs that that the Jewish people sang. And Christians have sung these songs for centuries. This is a song book. Long before we had Maranatha and all the other folks writing great songs, we had the Psalms. And they give voice to the praise of God's people. And this is one of the major themes of the book of Psalms. It's this. Worship. Worship. You know, a lot of people wonder, why, why am I here? Why, why, am, why was I created? What's the point of my life? And the Bible has an answer for that. You are created to worship. And God doesn't just leave you alone to kind of figure out, well, how do I do that? God doesn't just say, well, I'm up here in heaven. Be creative. God gives us his word. And within his word, he gives us a book that is very specifically aimed at worship. And worship just boils down to you appreciating God for who he is. And appreciating God for what he's done, who God is, what he's done. These are also major themes in the book of Psalms. So one of the benefits of the book of Psalms is when when things aren't going so great in your life and you don't feel like things are so so wonderful. You read the Psalms and you're just just you're 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 focused once again on God away from self onto God and onto his faithfulness, onto his works. And what this does in you is it plants seeds of worship and it waters those seeds and it brings fruit from those seeds. Worship. The Psalms produces worship. And they were sung. So. No matter what's going on in your life, the psalm, the psalms give you a song to sing. There's a psalm for every season of your life. You've heard there's an app for that, right? You've heard of that. There's an app for that. Well, I want to sort of twist that. There's a psalm for that. Whatever you're going through. Some of you are here this morning and you're like, great week. Great week. A lot of great stuff going on. Well, there are psalms that give voice to victory. Or maybe you're here this morning going, not so great. A lot of discouragement. Breakup. Heartbreak. Whatever. Discouragement. Despair anxiety. There are Psalms for that. And so this is an encouragement to us. So according to the notes on the the church website or the church app, I want to look at two things. Why we study the Psalms is the first thing I want to look at. Why we study the Psalms. 
And um, for those of you that read the Psalms, this might just be self-evident. But I want to really highlight a couple things. First is we study the Psalms because it's scripture. It's scripture. And one of the verses that I have there for you to look at is Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, which is which says all scripture is inspired or God breathed. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mean, think about that's what scripture is. Scripture is God's word to us. That's why it's called God's word. And scripture does certain things in our life. There are times when we need it to encourage us or teach us or reproof us, which means sort of correct us. We're going in the wrong way. And here's how this connects with the Psalms. The Psalms are scripture, but also they do all of these things. The Psalms teach us, they reproof us, they correct us, they train us. The Psalms are not just like mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me how great I am, you know, tell me how fair I am. Tell me how beautiful I am. There are certain Psalms that you're going to read and you're going to close the Bible and be challenged and you're going to be corrected. So I want you to sort of be on board for that challenge, that challenge to read the Psalms and let the Psalms sort of shine light into your life and maybe expose some areas where things are not as they should be. It's scripture. But the Psalms also at times are deeply theological. You know, these are not just sort of surface sayings, easy songs. You know, a lot of people have commented that, you know, Christian Christian songs can sometimes be real thin, real light. And the Psalms are not that way. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Let's look at that together. Um, if you have a Bible or if you're using the app, I'll pull that up just so that we can look at it together. Psalm, Psalm 139 is a great example, verses 7 through 10, of kind of the depth of the Psalms. And this is a Psalm of David. It says that at the beginning. And in verse 7, it says this. You have this in your notes. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And so here's an example of a psalm that touches upon this deep theological character of God. God is omnipresent, which means wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you are, God is there. And this is both encouraging when you find yourself somewhere where you feel alone. You're not alone. God is with you. It's encouraging. It's also convicting. Remember, I said God's word is going to challenge you because a lot of times we get alone because we don't we don't want to be around other people. We're either separating ourselves or, or, or we separate ourselves from certain people because we want to do things that we know are wrong. And so this can be an encouragement, but can also be a challenge wherever you are. God is with you. You're never really alone. So there are times like Psalm 139 where the Psalms just challenge us with God's character and it's deeply theological. And then there's also Psalms like Psalm 3413, Psalm 3413, which basically is, is more practical. And it talks about the tongue. I'll read this for us. Psalm 3413 says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So you got one Psalm 139 talking about God's omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence. And then you've got Psalm 34 that just basically says, hey, watch your mouth, watch your tongue, guard your guard what you say. 
And, and of course, James picks up on this in James 3 and says the exact same thing. So the Psalms are scripture. The Psalms can be deeply theological. The Psalms can also be just intensely practical. But one of the things you need to understand about the Psalms as scripture is that if you want to understand Jesus's spirituality, you need to understand the Psalms. All right. I I trust that you're here this morning, either because you know Jesus and love Jesus, or even if you don't know Jesus personally and love Jesus, Jesus is at least interesting. He's at least someone, you know, you should know something about. He's, he's at least thought of as someone who's, who has something to say to, to us. But what you have to understand about Jesus is that Jesus knew the Psalms. He loved the Psalms and he meditated on the Psalms. There's a pretty good chance if you would have just come up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what are you thinking about? There's a pretty good chance he would have said the Psalms. He quoted the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. Jesus was always quoting the Old Testament, but more than any other book, he was quoting the Psalms. And um, the Psalms are, you know, the Old Testament's divided into the law, the prophets and the writings. And Jesus knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures. So, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus said, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven, Jesus was quoting Psalm 110. When Jesus said out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have prepared praise. He was quoting Psalm eight. When Jesus was on the cross and he, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. And as Jesus died, literally as he died, the last thing he says, you know, this into thy hands, I commit my spirit. He's quoting Psalm 31, five. So what we can summarize is this. We can say Jesus lived and died by the Psalms. He lived and died by the Psalms. So Jesus doesn't just teach us to know the Psalms. He teaches us to memorize the Psalms, to quote the Psalms, to sing the Psalms. And he tells us that in order to be faithful to God, we need to understand this very important book. And if you want to grow in your understanding of Jesus, which we do, you need to understand the Psalms. They are going to help you grow closer to Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to say, not only is the Psalms scripture, they're Jesus's favorite scripture, but the other thing about the Psalms is, Unless you understand the Psalms, you won't understand other parts of Scripture. In order to understand Scripture, you need to understand the Psalms. So there's a there's a big word in 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 the study of the Bible called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics just means a study of interpretation. And one of the key sort of rules in the study of the Bible is that Scripture gets to interpret Scripture. Scripture gets to interpret Scripture. So if you just had the Bible and let it speak for itself and you let it speak for itself between books and quote itself and reference itself, you would have by God's spirit what you need to understand the Bible. And it turns out that if you want to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the book of Psalms. Let me give you an example. And this is in your notes in Romans 1, 21, uh Let me let me go there here. You've got it in your notes. In Romans chapter one, Paul is talking about the fact that people don't worship God like they should. 
They've turned away from God. They've worshipped idols. And in Romans 1, 21, uh, starting in verse 21, Paul says this. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul is basically talking about the fact that living life apart from God is foolishness. Well, where does he get that? Well, he gets it by the spirit. He's being, God is inspiring his word through Paul, but Paul also draws from the book of Psalms. In Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1, the psalmist says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So the psalm teaches us that it is foolish to act or live like God doesn't exist or believe that he doesn't exist because you were made to worship and you're going to worship something. And Paul draws on that to write the book of Romans. That's one example. One other example is in Romans chapter three, where Paul says there are none good, no, not one. You want to read a verse that flies in the face of modern thinking. Paul says there is none good, not even one. Human history, apart from Jesus, has not produced a single person who is good in the sense that God requires goodness, which is not breaking God's commands. We've all broken God's commands. So where does Paul get this idea that there are none good? He gets it from Psalm 53.3. So in order to understand the Bible, the New Testament, you need to understand the Psalms. Psalms are scripture. They help us understand scripture. And number three, they help us to stay on the right path. The Psalms are going to help you stay on the right path. Now, next week, we're going to look at Psalm 1 and 2, and we're going to look at them together. And I don't want to call this homework. Let me call it an encouragement. I want to encourage you this week to read and meditate on Psalm 1 and 2. And next week, I'm going to be sort of proclaiming the thought, the idea that Psalm 1 and 2 go together and point us to Christ. So read it this week. I would encourage you, read it this week. But when you read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, one thing is very clear. There is a right path and a wrong path to this life. There's lots of people that believe in lots of different paths, but according to the Psalms, according to the scriptures, there is one right path, one righteous path, one righteous savior. And every other path apart from God's path is the wrong path. So in the Psalms, we're confronted with this, you know, d this choice. What path are you on? Who are you following? Everybody's following someone. Everyone's believing something. Everyone's worshiping something. You were made to worship. It's, it's human nature. But the Psalm teaches us that there is, that there is blessing and life and joy on the path of God. And there is curse and discouragement and consequences and, and ultimately judgment on any other path. And, and God loves us enough to tell us that. And the Psalms sort of give us this, this choice. And it's an invitation to salvation. Every Psalm that you read is an invitation to be on God's path, following God's Savior, trusting God's plan, trusting His Word. And at the end of that path is eternal life. And on that path is encouragement and joy, even in the hardest seasons of life. 
So I want you to understand that the Psalms are all of them invitations to trust God, to follow God, to believe God, to listen to God, to let God's voice be the voice you hear over and above every other voice, including your own, including your own. So the Psalms are scripture. They help us to stand, understand other scripture and they help us to stay on the right path. That's why we study the Psalms. That's why God's people have always treasured the Psalms. Now, I want to ask another question. How do we study the Psalms? We know why we study the Psalms. Hopefully you're leaving today excited to read the Psalms and study the Psalms. But now I want to ask a different question. How do we study the Psalms? And the first thing I want you to understand is that you study the Psalms rightly by looking for Jesus. Remember that when you read Psalm 1 and 2. Look for Jesus. Now, why do we look for Jesus? Well, Jesus, there's a story in the New Testament in Luke 24. Jesus and uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Just after Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus comes upon these disciples and they are discouraged. They are distraught. They are, they're downtrodden. They're sad. And Jesus says, Jesus is kind of messing with them. He says, what's wrong? And they go, well, don't you know? And he's like, no, what? What's going on? And they said, well, there's this guy named Jesus. And we'd really hoped that he was the Messiah. He was going to save us. And they, they crucified him and he's dead. And Jesus sits with them and he teaches them and he breaks bread with them. And in the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine, their eyes are opened and they perceive that this is Jesus. And in that conversation, it says in Luke 24, 27, after he reveals himself, it says this. It says he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things pertaining himself. So he didn't just open up their eyes to see him there around the fire. He opened up their eyes to see him in the Old Testament. And so Jesus in this story is teaching us to see him not only personally, but to see him in the scriptures, in the law, in the prophets, in the writings, in all of the Old Testament. Remember that word continuity. It goes together. But it's more than that. You remember that Jesus says in in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. You know that. I mean, if, if you've been to Bible study twice in your life, you've know, you know that's that story. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. We've all walked into the, you know, somewhere in a church with a mural of Jesus, right? Like as a shepherd, I am the good shepherd. But if you read the Psalm and in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus in John 10 is saying that is speaking about me. When the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Who was it that shepherded and cared for and saved and provided for David and Asaph and Solomon and Moses? It was our shepherd, Jesus. Your shepherd is the shepherd you read about in the psalm. So Jesus is teaching us to look for him and to find him in the book of Psalms. You remember that Mary, when when Gabriel tells Mary in the New Testament that she's going to have a child and the child would be the Messiah and the child would have a kingdom that would never end. Mary had a point of reference for that prophecy and her point of reference, one of her points of reference was the psalm. 
Because in places like Psalm 24, we're introduced to a character called the King of Glory. Who is the King of Glory? His name is Jesus Christ. David didn't know his name. David just knew that there was a King of Glory. And Gabriel says, I'm going to reveal to you the name of the King of Glory. His name is Jesus. And Mary, you're going to give birth to the King of Glory. And so when you read the New Testament and you read the Old Testament, not only does the Psalms help us to understand the New Testament, but through the New Testament, we read the Old Testament and we see Jesus where Jesus tells us to find him. One last example, the the Psalms says that the Holy One would not see decay. That was a prophecy. The psalmist says God's Holy One will not see decay And this is a prophecy that reminds us that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. God's Holy One is not in the grave. God's Holy One, Jesus, is alive. And so when you read the Psalms, starting hopefully this week, I want you to be looking for Jesus and finding Jesus. When the psalmist talks about a Holy One who can ascend God's hill, because the Holy One who can ascend the hill has never sinned, You should not read that and think, that's me. You should read that and think, that's not me. Remember what John Newton says, I am a great sinner and God is a great savior. You should read that and think, God is a great savior indeed. And God has saved us through the person of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So look for Jesus. That's how we study the Psalms. Number two, we look for encouragement. We look for encouragement. You know, when Jesus draws from the Psalms, he's not just doing that sort of as an an exercise. He's doing it in his humanity to draw encouragement in times of discouragement. He, He uses the Psalms to help him stand against temptation. He uses the Psalms when facing opposition. Most often, Jesus quotes the Psalms when he's being attacked. And so arm yourself, if I can say it this way, arm yourself with the Psalms. So when you're tempted, you have a weapon. When you're opposed, you have a weapon. When you're discouraged, you have a weapon. Arm yourself with the Psalms. Why? Because Jesus taught you to do that. And we're disciples. We're following Jesus. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, looks to the Psalms for encouragement Now, by extension, there is a lot in the Psalms about despair, about doubt, about anxiety. The the book of Psalms is sort of raw. It's it's sort of a a raw kind of a, a book. And so when you're feeling raw, when you're feeling sort of exposed emotionally, the Psalms are great to encourage you. God's God's Psalms have encouraged Christians on their deathbeds throughout history. In health crises, God's psalms have built up God's people, encouraged God's people. Well, in your notes, you have this example. In Psalm 13, um, Psalm 13, 1, uh, David says, How long will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? David says, Where are you, God? Are you hiding? Have you left me? David feels abandoned. David feels anxious, discouraged. All those raw emotions we feel in the valleys of life, David felt. But here's what I want you to understand. By the end of Psalm 13, 
verses five and six, David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And please understand this point. The Psalms will help you move from despair to hope, from anxiety to worship. As we learn from the Psalms to focus on God and his faithfulness, we will move. You will move from despair to hope, from anxiety to peace, from faithlessness to faith. And the way you do that isn't by listening to yourself. It's by preaching to yourself. David is going to teach us, the Psalms are going to teach us, to preach to ourselves. Again, as Newton says, I'm a great sinner. God is a great Savior. So as you study the Psalms, here's one of the things that's required of you. What's required of you is honesty before God about where you're at. What's required of you, what David models, what the psalmist model is honesty before God. If you feel abandoned, you can let that out. If you feel discouraged, you can put words to that. And we can do that because we're invited to do that. Let David's words become your words, but don't stay there. David didn't stay there. He moved. There's a, there's a movement in his faith and it's an upward trajectory. And the key is focusing on God, who he is and what he's done. So as we study the Psalms, we see Jesus, we understand the Bible, and we are encouraged to stay on the right path. And we're also encouraged to move along from discouragement to hope and faith, not staying in depression, not staying in anxiety, not staying in discouragement, but moving as we see David and the other psalmist moving as they focus on God, focus on his faithfulness, and let God encourage their hearts. The psalmists are going to do all of that for you. But let me circle back to that first thing I said. The idea that I am a great sinner and God is a great savior. I wonder as I conclude, do you agree with that statement? Are you here this morning in agreement with what God's word says from beginning to end that we have fallen short, that none of us are good that none of us are holy, that none of us can earn our salvation. Every other religion in the world is based on karma, getting what you deserve. Christianity alone is based on grace, getting what you don't deserve, namely forgiveness, because Christ paid the price for your sins. And I just want to encourage you, though, both this morning and this week, to sort of really wrestle with that idea. Have I come to a point where I know that I am a sinner And have I come to a point where I've confessed that only Jesus can save? Have I stared down those two roads and chosen to go down the road of faith in Christ? Because God is a great savior and because he has saved us through his son. So I hope the Psalms encourage us. Start reading them this week and we'll dive into Psalm 1 and 2 next week. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I I ask that as, as we sing this final song, that you would help us to be honest. I pray if there's anyone here that bristles against the idea that they're a sinner, I pray that you would help them to be honest about their sin. I pray that you would allow their sense of guilt or shame to move them 
to see in Jesus someone who can wash us clean, someone who hung on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be fully and freely forgiven by his merits and not our own. Father, I pray that that truth would so encourage our hearts this morning that we would, as brothers and sisters, take all the hope and all the encouragement we need for whatever we're going through in life. I pray, Lord, that you would do this for your glory to train us to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.